Welcome to Conveyancing Matters with Lorraine and Stu. Join us for a chat about all things property. Hi, welcome to Conveyancing Matters. How are you, Stu? I'm good, thanks, Lorraine. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. I'm really, really delighted to welcome Nicola McKenzie, uh, Nikki, uh, as I will call you. Uh, so, Nikki, you're uh, a founding member of the mortgage brokers Dunham McCarthy. And you have a very successful YouTube channel, which you've been running for a while now. And you very kindly invited Stu and I on to have a chat with you about sort of the conveyancer perspective um, a little while ago on your YouTube channel. So um, uh, we thought it was uh, only pleasant and polite to uh, to invite you back to to chat on ours. But actually, funnily enough, Nikki, we've been saying since we started doing this, you know, we definitely want the sort of mortgage brokers perspective. So uh, so getting, you know, getting in touch with you was just perfect timing for us, Nikki. So tell us a little bit first about you, Dunham McCarthy and your your YouTube channel, because it's uh, it's very whizzy and very fantastic. We love it a lot. Thank you guys so much and good morning to both of you and thank you for inviting me as well. So yeah, I mean a bit about me, I'm Nicola McKenzie, so I run a firm called Dunham McCarthy and we're based in Stafford but we service clients all over the country and we um, specialise in giving mortgage advice, so I also day-to-day -day work as a mortgage advisor within the business. We also help many clients to arrange life insurance, critical illness, cover, income protection, that kind of thing. Um, and then we also do have a separate division of the company that specializes in wills and trusts. But my job in the main is to be responsible for the financial services part of the business, which we've been running now since 2011. Um, so yeah, I have a YouTube channel as well, which was set up, I think it was July last year 2019 yeah so um yeah we've got quite a few subscribers and in the main we talk about property related mortgage related things so um yeah the channel is nicola m if anybody's interested go over and have a look but that's it about me oh well that's great thanks for that as i say and i'm sure people will be interested in your channel nikki as i say it looks great and uh, and you do more than uh, do more than Stu and i do we we press record but um <laughs> but Nikki, we're, we're going to kind of almost carry on a conversation that Stu and I started last week because it's certainly been swirling around a lot um, in the last sort of week, 10 days, sort of in, in the, you know, on the property blogs and, and news outlets and stuff. And it was the mm. case, you know, we're, we're quite familiar with now, really. Um, and actually, it was interesting. And what's interesting from your perspective is that it was reported by the Mortgage Finance Gazette. And it was about the couple who lost a £33,000 deposit. Um, their life savings, bless them, unfortunately, because they were in a chain of conveyancing transactions that had exchanged and it wasn't their mortgage offer that was pulled. Santander pulled their buyer's mortgage offer and that had the knock-on effect. And because, albeit these, this couple were able to recover sort of half their deposit on their sale from the couple that defaulted, they had exchanged on a more expensive purchase and they therefore were liable to pay a deposit of, as it happened about 66,000, I think on their purchase. So they lost that 33 K because the chain fell apart. Now they do have the right to sue their buyers for that loss. But of course the age old cliche is if they haven't got the money, unfortunately this couple won't get it, but certainly Nikki, what I think surprised you and I um, both as, the article came out and, and since is that there seems to be 
quite a lack of appreciation within the industry generally, including conveyances, I would say, that, that you know, lenders can pull mortgage offers and, until we draw down the funds. And I'm just interested as a broker, you know, to, to know your, your view on that really and your attitude to it. And, you know, do you feel it's something that's well known in your industry? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly amongst advisors, it is something that's well known. And I guess every advisor is different as to how much they would stress that risk to a client, if you like. Um, I certainly think, I mean, obviously, it's a very sad situation what happened to that couple. I certainly think that there could be more done by brokers to make clients aware of the risks if your mortgage offer, you know, um, or if you don't complete within a certain period of time. I'm not convinced that clients, and I suppose as well that the thing is when somebody is buying a house with the best will in the world, you can go, the amount of information that you have to go through, how much of that sinks in, you know, it is quite difficult as well as a broker to get somebody to understand all of the risks because, you know, you're not just talking about the risk of if you exchange and or what post exchange, if your offer expires, funds being withdrawn, there are so many risks that you have to go through with a client that, you know, could it be a case of signing more disclaimers or, you know, getting more things in writing? It is a tricky one, but I certainly think that brokers could be stressing it more to clients about the risks of that happening. Definitely. And Stu, what's your, what's your view? What's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. It's, it's such a difficult one with, with, with mortgages and, and mortgage offers in general. Like, um, you know, if you try to explain to a client that you, you're going to get this mortgage offer, there's going to be some special conditions at the back of it. Oh, and there's also another load of conditions on a website somewhere else. You know, they just wouldn't have a clue what, what you were talking about, would they? So I suppose it's sort of practically looking at what the risks are, but certainly something as vital as, you know, contracting and, and somebody's legal obligations and explaining that a bank aren't tied into those must be you know of, of vital importance surely and, and you know surely brokers must have an obligation to explain that to client as well as their lawyers yeah definitely I, I think brokers do have an obligation to do that but how much they stress it and how important they make it that that's the the, the big question isn't it you know every advisor is different and i think it's one of those <laughs> It definitely, I think, could be stressed much more when somebody comes for a mortgage by a lot of brokers, definitely. Difficult one, isn't it? Because there's always this sort of confusion as to sort of whose responsibility it is, at what point. Um, and again, sort of going back to a bit of an old, old cliche, it's, you know, whose responsibility is it? And, and are there things that maybe we could do better, you know, linking together? How can we help sort of our clients move forward with the broker? Definitely. I mean, I think as well, I mean, I'm interested to know from you guys as well. I mean, on the legal side of it, if a client is, um, why is this happening in terms of from a legal perspective? Is it as simple as, because obviously I'm not a conveyancer, so you guys can best answer this, but, you know, it, is it as simple as, as a clause or wording in the contract to say that if the client's funds you know, don't happen for whatever reason that they have the right to withdraw from the. No, that just the thing, one, of, one of the things is that the, the standard conditions of sale contract give us, and actually, Stu and I talked about this in a different context, Nikki, is that you know, one of the great pluses of the conveyancing system we have, and I admit there are a lot of negatives, but one of the great pluses is essentially 
once you've exchanged, you've got that contractual certainty. Um, and of course, in the most cases, mortgage offers aren't going to be withdrawn by the banks and building societies. But the point about it is, and it's, and we've had this conversation actually, Nikki, interesting you should say that in the, in the sort of COVID context, because mm. when you start to give the contracting parties on, let's face it, the biggest transaction of most people's lives, when you start to give them wriggle room, all that is going to do is, is magnify the potential for risk and problems and, and actually litigation. People need to know when they're moving house that there's a huge amount of contractual certainty. And by and large, there is. And there are, as I say, there are contractual obligations rolled up into the contract. So if one party has to withdraw, I mean, death doesn't bring the contract to an end. You know, if a contracting party dies, their estate has got to carry on or, or forfeit the deposit if they're a purchase. That's the, you know, that's how certain it is. And, and, but as I say, that certainty, you know, um, it is incredibly important, particularly when you've got a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of people in a chain, because of course, if you think about it, if you have a whole bunch of people in a chain um, and one part of the chain you know, have got the, the, a sort of series of changed obligations where somebody can pull out without penalty, that then suddenly, you know, impacts on everybody else. So it's the fact that we're all contracting on the same terms is actually what gives the, the chain its strength and what gives the completion date its strength, really. But, um, but of course, one of the things that I think is conveyances and mortgage brokers really need to be pushing in the next probably unfortunately foreseeable future is this idea that if the borrower's circumstances you know there's a material change in the borrower's circumstances from the point of the offer being made to drawdown of the loan that's the key that's the thing that the lender needs to be told about if the conveyancer finds out about it um, and of course there's much more likelihood unfortunately of there being a change in those circumstances in the next 12 months than in the last Nikki because of obviously furlough redundancy you know people you know aren't in the position perhaps six to eight weeks down the line than they were when they made the application with you guys yeah I guess so and I suppose as well I mean because with new build as far as I understand it the legal aspect of it again you guys would be best placed to answer this but with new builds it differs slightly doesn't it in terms of if you are buying a new build with a help to buy scheme as I understand it or some of some of the conveyances that we work with um, have explained that you can get a clause in the contract to say that if the help to buy funds don't happen due to changes in the scheme then the client can pull out of that transaction. But I guess it's different when it's a new bill because there's not five or six people relying on that transaction to happen. Basically, yeah, yeah, you, you are right to a degree insofar as you can have any clause within the contract um, that makes it what we call conditional, I condition on something happening. Um, but it doesn't happen to be new bill specific. It's whether a buyer and a seller in general agree. As Lorraine said, the issue you do have is where there are multiple people in a chain, you need certainty for people to be able to commit to removals and, and commit to moving in general. With a new build, yeah, it is different because obviously the seller's a developer. You could argue, does the seller stand to lose as much, you know, if completion doesn't take place on that day? But certainly not all the new build stuff that we deal with would be conditioned on certain things. You know, it could be that we exchange contracts um, conditional on a buyer being able to obtain a mortgage, which of course could be settled in terms of a contractual term, but that wouldn't provide for the mortgage being withdrawn at a later date. So the problem with 
you know, any kind of clause that you put into a contract is that the devil's always in the detail. And it might well be that it doesn't apply, you know, if the actual mortgage offer is withdrawn. So it does vary from transaction to transaction. It's certainly not something you want to rely on. Sure. I think as well, as you rightly pointed out, Lorraine, you know, with COVID, it's been a, it's been extra challenging because, you know, I've seen situations whereby, I mean, clients haven't got, in my experience, luckily so far, I've not had a situation where a client's exchanged and then lost out um, post exchange. But I have seen situations where, you know, currently they have applied for a mortgage on a 10% deposit, their circumstances have changed or the offer has expired just naturally. And then because now a lot of the lenders are asking for a 15% deposit, I've had to go back to them and say, your mortgage offer's changed, you need to find an extra five or 10,000 pounds. Now, so far, Touchwood in most cases, the clients I've been dealing with have been able to raise those extra funds either by way of gift or their own personal savings. But that is obviously just placing additional challenges on what's already not the greatest of situations if somebody is in that position. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you mentioned a moment ago, Nikki, the, you know, um, managing the risk of the mortgage offer expiring i mean i would say to be fair that 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 element of risk is is that should be very much down to the conveyancer to manage with their client we get a mortgage offer landing on our desk we know the date that that offer is going to expire it's clearly made it's obvious in the mortgage offer frankly i would say that's very much part of the conveyancer's responsibility to make sure we're going to exchange and complete within the window of availability of that offer i would suggest if that was missed, you know, that would be at the conveyancer's door by and large, because that's our job. If we know the offer's going to expire, you know, we shouldn't be committing our client. As I say, it's this, it's this unilateral withdrawal because of change of circumstances that's the issue. But, um, but of course, you know, this, this scenario that we all find ourselves in, Nikki, we were going to move on and, and, uh, and talk to you sort of about that. Uh, clearly, this, this real sort of maelstrom that we're all in at the moment um in terms of transactions you know with pent-up demand as people keep saying the stamp duty land tax holiday and everything else so so how nikki in your experience what would your advice to conveyances be about you know how conveyances and their brokers can perhaps work better together you know um you know what what's your view from you know from from your side of the fence yeah i mean my view is that i think we, we had a chat about this didn't we when when we did the interview on my channel a week or two ago and i think it was you lorraine that said something about um you know encouraging people to do a simultaneous exchange in completion to me that just makes sense that's going to mitigate a lot of the risk um i mean i know that circumstances mean that not everybody's in a position to do that but i think where possible that should generally be the preferred option and i think you described it as being the least worst option because it still comes with it, with its risks which absolutely it does but you know if i was transaction transacting on a property i'd rather it fall through before my exchange than be in a situation like this poor couple where they've lost out on thousands of pounds um, so i definitely think that that's something that should be done across the board i do also you're right i think that that brokers and conveyancers could work more closely you know i'll be honest there are situations where i contact conveyancers obviously not all some are brilliant but some are you know just not really interested in having 
many conversations with me about much of anything. <laughs> Whereas I think that really we should be um, working together, not against each other, you know. I just think that communication wouldn't go amiss in many instances between broker and conveyancer. Um, so, yeah, I think that's my view on it, really. Yeah, well, Stu, that kind of leads neatly into your, you know, again, in terms of communication of the issue you raised before we pressed record about the gifted deposits aspect. Yeah, there's so many sorts of um, areas where we cross in terms of ID, but the biggest one has to be um, reporting the gifted deposit. And we have so many clients here that are perplexed and, you know, we start talking about this because the standard replies, but I've already told my broker this. Um, the problem we have is we can't rely on what the broker may or may not have submitted to the bank. Um, it's okay if it's on some kind of pre-printed format like some lenders use, but there's often sort of different interpretation of the word gifted um, and what it means to the bank. And it just simply means that in every kind of circumstance where this arises, we then have to report it to the bank Quite often we have to obtain sort of, you know, signed declarations from the clients, which of course you guys may have already done. So I can understand from a client's perspective how it's, um, you know, annoying that they've got to do it again. Definitely. Um, and I think, I mean, because we do work closely with some conveyances, so I will always say to that person, look, if you need anything, whether it's a bank statement, whether it's an ID, just come to me rather than go to the client because I've probably got most of that information. But obviously where a client's appointing a solicitor that I don't really know or have had no involvement with, then the situation can be very, very different. Um, but I agree, Stu, there is definitely, because I know you guys, generally speaking, would um, delve deeper into where there is a gifted deposit, um, I know that you guys will go back months and months and months from the, by the gifter to see where that money's come from. Whereas for us as a broker, generally the situation is much simpler. Some lenders will just ask for a letter from the gifter and that's it. You know, so there is definitely a crossover and I think working closer together would mitigate some of the issues with respect to that. Yeah, because it's interesting because the, you know, the anti-money laundering responsibilities, that's that's the reason we do the source of funds and source of wealth, obviously. And as you say, delve around, you know, delve around uh, uh, to find out. And funnily enough, I mean, we're in many ways, solicitors and conveyancers are not as equipped to do that. You know, I'm the first to say that, you know, sums and figures aren't my big thing. Um, and so oddly, you know, in terms of certainly sort of responsibility, if you like, it would make much more sense for for the responsibility to lie with the brokers but but um you know clearly within the aml regime that's that, you know that's not going to happen but it would certainly i think help in terms of communication nikki if brokers were at least able to sort of smooth the path to the conveyancer and say look you know um you're giving us this information but can we just you know you know remind you <laughs> that you're likely to have to give this information again to your conveyancer they have a different set of responsibilities when the mortgage offer arrives and whilst it can seem really really annoying that, that you, you're, you're going to have to do this again but you might not have to do so keep all this stuff together because you can expect to hear from your conveyancer I think you're right, Lorraine. I think definitely more positioning <laughs> wouldn't go amiss when a client comes to see um a broker you know just letting them know what they're in for i don't think clients mind having to submit or show documents twice if they are told that mm. yeah it is i mean it's i hate this cliche managing expectation Stu and i use it a lot but it's absolutely right isn't it 
it's absolutely right you know managing expectations is is so important because it just cuts out a lot of disappointment from the client when they've got one agenda or they expect one level of service and they're getting another is no good to anybody whereas if brokers or you know if, if we just say look you know this is the situation i think that people would be a lot more patient and it would just mean that things are a lot smoother and it would probably mean that there is less hassle along the way as well when things don't always go as smoothly as we like them to go yeah i think you could certainly do with a bit less hassle right now Stu, couldn't you that'd be nice definitely <laughs> <laughs> So, Nikki, what would be your one bit of advice? So, some advice then for for you know borrower buyers. What what do they need to be doing to if if somebody wants to come and see you today? You know, mid pandemic, first day the vaccines available in the UK. Um, what what do people need to be doing to get their house? You know, their ducks in a row for you guys. So um, I would definitely say being prepared. Again, when we had our chat last time, we spoke a lot about this, didn't we? But the more prepared that you can be if you are about to transact on a property, the better, you know, make sure that you've got all of your documents before you come to see me. Make sure that you've got everything in order. That really, really helps because again, making let's say that a mortgage offer, a mortgage offer could take twice as long if, a, if somebody's taking twice as long to give me the documents. Therefore, you know, it, things just drag out, don't they? Mm -hmm. if, if you would have provided the documents straight away or much, much quicker, then maybe things can be completed much quicker. So I think speed is really important and just being prepared. Um, I also think that, well, given the current situation, obviously patience <laughs> is important right now. Things are obviously not, you know, we're not working in normal, under normal circumstances at all. Um, and yeah, I just think being prepared, really, as far as a client goes, I think a lot of it really comes down to being a broker. You know, I don't expect my client to know much about the house buying process. I think that that's really my responsibility to explain that. Do you actually, as a matter of interest, Nikki, when you've got a new uh, a new client, do you do you know do you you're able to presumably deal with everything remotely these days? You don't need to see them. Yeah, I mean, that, a remote, yeah, a remote service is something that we were providing pre-COVID anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we've always well, not always. We were very much a face-to-face -face business until probably about twelve months before COVID, where all of our um, transactions took place via Microsoft Teams. So there are some logistical issues. I mean, obviously where you're talking about ID, but again, because of everything that's happening, the network, the mortgage network that I'm a part of have kind of kept up with the demands and the pressures that COVID are putting on the industry. And now we can do things like, you know, online experience searches. And basically we don't have to meet the client for anything. No, there are some regulations around making sure that you post hard copies of certain documents to clients to obviously make sure that they're at the address that they say they're at. But aside from that, yeah perfectly fine to do a remote service which is obviously easier for everybody for the most part yeah i mean Stu, what proportion of your clients the majority of your new clients would be remote now i'd say virtually all of them virtually yeah. all of them that's a great tip though i think nick has just uh, dropped in there for other lawyers though um we quite often on sale transactions and i know we're sort of slightly going off tangent here but with sale transactions quite often we write to the client and send them the contract to sign at the address. 
um, just as another sort of um, built-in layer of security. Um, if they don't get that contract, you know, do they actually, do they reside there? Are we dealing with the seller? There's so many hidden sort of issues regarding checking that the people we deal with are, you know, the right people. And we, we're always using FaceTime to call clients, to acknowledge things, and just to make sure that, you know, they are who they say they are. And that's the, our, one of our biggest risks that we have to face by not seeing clients face-to-face. -face. And it, it's strange, isn't it, to think only 10 years ago, I think I probably saw every client face-to-face, -face, um, you know, how the world has moved on. Definitely. Well, like I say, it was only until about two years ago that we were seeing every single client face-to-face. -face. So, um, yeah, definitely times have changed. A lot of clients as well, they get very surprised that we can offer a remote service. I think it's because they're dealing with so much money. They're like, oh, can we deal with you over the internet? I'm like, yeah, we're in 2020 now, it's fine. <laughs> Well, funny enough, Nikki, that's why I asked, because as I say, that's something that conveyances have had to, you know, shift to very quickly, because a lot of conveyances, to be fair, still work very much on the sort of what I might call sort of high streets stroke face-to-face model, um, mm. which, as I say, is sort of really why I asked you that question. Um, but, um, you know, because it occurs to me that people watching this for example do, i mean do you have any sort of resources on your website for you know new borrowers around the sorts of things you were talking about about you know the things the paperwork they need to get together to come and see you guys if you've got any sort of checklists or anything like that on your website can people look that up to sort of save everybody some time you know that's a really good point actually lorraine no we don't have anything on the website in terms of what documents you need um, and i guess we could have a, a list of documents, I guess that wouldn't go amiss, but then it is down to each individual transaction as to what documents are required. So it would kind of be difficult to do a one size fits all with yeah. that. I mean, I suppose there are some documents that are generic, you know, if someone's employed, we're always going to need three months pay slips. It, you know, we're always going to need three months bank statements, but then depending on whether someone earns commission or not, we might need a P60, we might need two years, P60, three years. Even with a self-employed applicant, it can be anything from two years accounts to three years accounts, or even one year in some instances. So it's quite difficult to know what documents a client might need until actually we speak to that person individually. That's really interesting because, and, and Stu will recognise this, um, because certainly, you know, what a lot of organisations have tried to do to conveyancing is make it one size fits all. Interestingly, that, you know, organisations have tried to just commoditize conveyancing to such an extent that many people don't see it as a professional service anymore. Um, and they just see us as a sort of box ticking process exercise, which of course it isn't. And I've always, I'm always sort of shouting from the rooftops saying, but you know, there's no such thing as a straightforward conveyancing transaction. And I think it's really interesting that, um, that, you know, you've, you've managed to sort of retain that, you know, no, well, we can't just, you know, one size doesn't fit all. And I think Stu, you know, you feel quite strongly about that too. Exactly the same for us, yeah. I mean, every property that we transact on is different from the last one, and every person that we're acting for is different to the last one. So, as you say, making it one size fits all is very dangerous because you're also setting a precedent that, you know, this is all we need from you. And then, of course, you have to go back again asking for additional information, which, you know, probably makes the whole thing worse. So, I do sort of hate to, to become that sort of processing agent rather than legal due diligence. So, Definitely in our industry, it's something we want to avoid. Definitely. And going back to what you mentioned, um, I think, Lorraine, about, you know, what advice. 
would I give to people? Again, we, one of the things we do stress, whilst we don't put a generic list of documents that somebody might need when they come for a mortgage, but we do stress to people that when you've saved up your deposit, before you start looking at any houses, you come for a mortgage meeting. So in that meeting, that's where we would tailor the advice specifically to that individual. So I think that the key bit of advice is rather than giving a list of documents you might need, make sure that you book your mortgage appointment well in advance so that we can iron out what potential issues or, you know, look at what documents you may need as a self-employed person or, you know, as somebody that earns commission. So, and again, I think that when you, you're exactly right, when you start trying to kind of make it a tick box exercise, um, then it's kind of like, well, we're advisors. That's the point of us giving advice is to make it, you know, not like a tick box exercise. You know, if that was the case, I kind of feel like the client may as well have gone to the bank if they don't want to take, you know, what I'm saying for as advice. That's the point of me being there is to make sure that I can give them advice based on them as an individual, not just generic um, information, if you like. That's really, really interesting because, as I say, I, I absolutely firmly believe that a lot of that is, is being lost around the conveyancing process which I then think, which this could be another whole conveyancing matters chat, you know, the, the whole issue of the sort of professionalism and respect thing, because a lot of the things we're seeing right now, Nikki, literally, you know, almost, I was going to say week in, week out, almost day in, day out on, all, on social media is just the, frankly, let's not be, you know, let's not beat around the bush, the level of abuse that's being levelled at people in the conveyancing teams right now is, is extraordinary and utterly unacceptable on any level. Um, and it's quite, quite extreme in some cases. Do you know, it's funny you do say that, Lorraine, because I have a lot of um, clients on the phone saying, you know, telling me, you know, oh, I'm so unhappy with this. And they're unhappy with a lot of the time. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes the unhappiness is warranted. But a lot of the time it is a case of look, that is quite a usual thing that you're experiencing. So, again, I think it goes back to the point you mentioned about managing expectations I think that um you know if you position things like for example you know if I get a client come to see me I will explain to them that look depending on who the lender is once we submit this application we're not going to hear anything from the lender for five working days or ten working days because otherwise I know that that person's going to be feeling as if I've perhaps not done my job by not giving them updates every other day but that's not how it works. So I think, again, managing expectations, at least they know what the protocol is when we submit the application. So, yeah, I think it's um, definitely, at the moment, an issue. I think one of the things we struggle with at the moment in terms of managing those expectations is that pre-COVID, you could say approximately a week to two weeks till we should hear, but at the moment it could be a week to two weeks, could be 10 weeks. We just don't know. Everything's so open-ended and, and turning sort of to the banks and, and the guys that you have to deal with. There's such a variance on their response times. It's incredible. Um, there's, you know, not naming any names, but there, there is a massive, massive difference you know we could be dealing with one that will get back just within the five days others yeah, we eight weeks wouldn't be you know wouldn't go miss it's it's incredible and trying to get through to the banks is so difficult that must be a real bugbear for you guys <laughs> definitely but let's not get into that i could be here all day 
<laughs> but yeah, a hundred percent. And yeah, I do see definitely the challenges that you guys are facing. And funnily enough, I did a video on my channel. Um, I think it was Friday about, and I mentioned what you said, Stu, on our last interview, because I didn't know that it was approximately 19 third parties involved in a transaction, you said on average. So I actually quoted that statistic in the video that I filmed on Friday, because I agree, I think it's important that people know, especially under the um, circumstances that we're all working to at the moment, that you guys do have so many people that you have to contact and wait for responses from, and you just can't control that. But again, I think it's about positioning, isn't it, and managing those expectations. Well, it certainly is, Nikki. Well, as you say, we could probably sit here and chat all day, but uh, but um, that's probably a good place uh, for us to leave it. So, Nikki, just remind us again um, about the name of your YouTube channel because I do think it's really, really good. So, and it's got some, you know, content of really, really sort of, you know, wide-ranging relevance. So, remind us of the name of your YouTube channel again. Thank you, Lorraine. So, my YouTube channel is Nicola. M for mother or for Mackenzie, shall I say? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's just under Nicola M. So oh, search well, it if anyone's interested. Oh well, thanks ever so much for joining us, Nikki. It's been really, really interesting to see your side of the story. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you both for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Okay. Thanks for coming on. Take care, Take guys. Care. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Bye.